You're listening to the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Fisher, musician, producer, and creator. This episode of our industry-focused collaboration with the Roots Music Project features Kyle Hauser, Artist Development Manager at the Music District. We spoke virtually about goal-setting for artists, the world of sync licensing, a more mindful approach to making connections in the industry, and so much more. This is the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast with Kyle Hauser. are tuning in to the Sonic Guild Colorado podcast. I am here today with Kyle Hauser. Welcome, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, LM? Great. I'm so excited to talk to you today. You have such a wide variety of experience in the industry. A musician, songwriter, faculty at Berklee College of Music, artist development manager at the Music District. What are some of the challenges that you find artists face when dealing with the business side of making music? Oh, gosh. I mean, that's the question that basically defines my entire life's work, right? What what challenges don't musicians and creatives face in uh, our culture, our country, the world? Um, I think to drill it down to some more digestible pieces and some practical, actionable things that we try to do here at Music District, you know, uh, having the opportunity to be in community with to be whether you call it ed- education or mentorship or just friends and collaborative creative partners but be around other people who are in the space who are pursuing this craft and art as uh, uh their life's work i think that community regardless of whether you're mentoring or a mentee or a teacher or a student or a friend and a collaborator it's really the all of us together, the community that makes that up that I think um, brings arts scenes um, along. Obviously, we need the supporters of music as well. Like we love our audiences and our fans. But I think one of the challenges faced by a lot of musicians in uh, the front range of Colorado and northern Colorado specifically is just being geographically isolated from the rest of the world and certainly the the sort of historical centers of music and the music industry, you know, Nashville, New York, Chicago, on and on. Um, and so that's that's one of the things that we really endeavor to address is try to not only foster creative, collaborative, community-centric programs, um, but also provide the space for that the community to gather um, and and try to bring in folks who are at a quote, you know, industry talk, but a national level, a national touring artist and um, give them space and time to be creative here at the Music District and then also connect with our community. Because I think that that relevance piece of um, seeing someone doing what you might like to do can often be far more transformative than reading a a book about it or even taking an online course or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's an element of that. Like it really helps to know that you're not alone in the struggles. And also, yeah, you learn so much from watching people do things. And there's such a huge benefit of listening to their mistakes and really Mm -hmm. getting that perspective. Sometimes often that's much more helpful than, yeah, any sort of YouTube video or, uh, you know, kind of class that you could take in that regard. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given as a musician. I was working really, really hard. I was transcribing a very difficult piece of music, and I knew that I had the proficiencies to to play it, but I just couldn't. I couldn't get it. I just couldn't get this one phrase correct on. I think it was a guitar, a guitar piece, uh, and I was working with my instructor at the time and I was like I don't get it like I, I play stuff that's more difficult than this I just can't get this one and they were like look like this is part of the process like if you find out if you learn what you can't do or what you're not comfortable doing like you have to really really try you have to put in the time to really try but if you have put in your full effort and you find out that this just isn't a fit for me you can actually find your way as an artist and a creative and and the music industry by learning where the things that you can't do that given all your best efforts you know i'm just never going to be able to play that part of a song as well as the person who wrote it and like that was hard to swallow but in doing so i was able to just go around. I found my own way to play that passage and interpret their music, you know? So yeah, I think the relevance piece, the relevance piece is really important for me um, in the work that we're doing here. And again, we try to address that in, in a few different ways, the community building collaborative, all of our programs are very collaborative and that's, that's an essential component. And then bringing in people from the broader music world to, uh, to engage with our artists. But to your question of what what are the challenges? I mean, so I think that's one that's very important, staying inspired, feeling like you said, like you're not alone. Um, that sense of community, that ability to learn from others. But more than that, um, oh, where do we want to start? Like I said, this list is long. Uh, there are having a career as a performing, recording, touring musician is one of the most challenging career paths anyone could choose. And I'm not going to try to put it in the rankings or anything, but it is exceedingly challenging. And, you know, a big part of that is, you know, we live in a, a culture and society where there is no well-worn path. Like if you want to be a doctor, you have the path. It's very expensive. It's not equitable or accessible in those ways, right? It takes lots of time and money, but you can do it. You go to school, you take the test, you get the grade, like you are, boom, you're a doctor. And with musicians, like you can go to the, the fanciest music conservatories in the world. You can study with the greats so you can be brilliant in your living room. And there's still no guarantee that you will make any money, have any sustainability in your career. So that that piece is a massive challenge. And I think in the front range of Colorado and Colorado, you know, generally, um, it's also challenging because we're, like I said before, geographically isolated. That also means there's just not a population density to be able to easily try to find your audience and your markets. Um, many years ago when I was first kind of going out on my own as a solo artist, signed a record deal and all that, and was trying to, you know, tour full time under my name, as opposed to, uh, being in other people's bands, which I had been doing that time, uh, up until that time, I looked at a map, I bought like an actual physical map, I put it on my wall and it had cities on the map that were, had a population of greater than, I think, 200,000 people and, I used some string and some pins and I pulled like a, like a 10 hour drive, you know, radius 
from any given city and tried to find the spot where I could hit the most cities with 200,000 people or more in the least amount of time. And that's why I ended up back in, in the Nashville, Louisville, Kentucky area, because from those places, you can quote tour full time, you can hit multi-million population markets within three or four hours. So you could be on tour from Nashville, you know, it's two and a half hours to Louisville. It's an hour and a half to Indianapolis. From there, it's four hours to Chicago. So in the same amount of driving that it would take someone here to get to less than Kansas City, right, to get to, I don't know, Telluride or or Durango or something, you can hit on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday markets with, you know, 500,000, a million or more. And, you know, art has to find an audience if you're going to monetize it and build a career as a performing artist, which is not the only path. Um but if you are, you know, uh, being in a place where you can do that sustainably can be really critical. So so that's one of the things that we try to address as well. You know, um, there are ways to, to build and find your audience, obviously, in the digital era. Um, we emphasize people trying to lean into digital communities, you know, find track your metrics, get the location data of your listener base. Um, I know Spotify can be a challenging you know, it's not the most equitable platform as far as compensation to creators, but you can pull the data and find out where your audiences are. And I've actually been talking with uh, some some compelling artists recently who have huge followings in different countries than where they reside and in their hometowns where they like to live and where their friends and family are. They don't they can't sell any tickets, but they'll go to the UK and for two weeks, because of the Spotify data they pulled, they'll sell out a week of shows and then come back. And, you know, they you can do that now. You can, you can find that information. And I, I encourage artists to try to find that and be savvy, especially when we live in a place where geographically it's very cost prohibitive to, to tour as a developing artist. Yeah, it's wild to think that, like, you can have such a great reach in other places now. And it really is like thinking outside the box like that. I think that oftentimes, I mean, like you said, there's there's not really like one path and it's so important to figure out what's working for you and then chase that down instead of trying to fit into this mold of like, well, this is how, you know, Taylor Swift or whatever giant band that you think is like, that's the pinnacle of success. Um, maybe for an actual working musician, it's really like everybody's different and you just have to figure out what your best modus operandi is. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one exercise that was given to me when I was trying to break out as a solo artist that I still encourage a lot of the artists who come through the doors at Music District to do is make a list. I mean, this is the this is part of the reality that if you're not cool with it, you got to get right with it. Like if you want to be a musician in our day and age, especially like as an artist, touring musician, you got to fall in love with spreadsheets and data because you have to use that. You have to utilize those tools. You know, um, there's always the person who will buck the the trends, the rules, right? The person who like just blew up, right? Hit in the perfect time and space for their art and never had to learn how to document and create databases and book 
tours and do logistics and all that. But that's literally like a fraction of a percent of the people who have careers in the industry. The vast majority of us had to get really smart and savvy and building, you know, databases and spreadsheets is one of them. So one that was recommended to me, basically, like you start a spreadsheet and in the first column, you pick an artist that's in your region. So like regionally in 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 proximity to you who's maybe like kind of where you're at maybe they're a little bit of step above and i don't mean necessarily it could be it's your spreadsheet you can decide i'm not doing a a, a qualifying like their art is better than your art this is more like building a sustainable career so someone like they're playing shows that seem to have more people they're getting better pay and then build in as many artists as you can from there like so the first per person might be like the person in your town who's got the gigs that you want and then the person next down you know the next person down is the person who's got the gigs in the towns nearby you that have the gigs that you want and then you go as far as you care to and i encourage people to go all the way to like you mentioned taylor swift like if you want to have taylor swift's career um put her on the bottom of the list, right? Like have and build this sort of, build this this list of folks that if you were to stair step your way or climb whatever the ladder is, there are lessons that you can gain from each of those artists. And again, they need to be artists who are who are close to you, who are in the vein or genre or style or whatever that, that you like, or you feel like you want to be more like or be alongside. And then in the subsequent, uh, columns you go in and you put in like where are they based who's their manager who's their agent who's their label if they might have multiple labels for different releases who is their producer on the records that you like or even the ones you don't like the earlier stuff that maybe before they got hit where they are now who are their bandmates right who are the where what are the venues they play what are the festivals that they play and you can take that really to a pretty intense degree, which I did because I'm a spreadsheet nerd, but you can get down to like, who are the names of the specific people at the label, at the agency, at the management company. And you can find those people's email address lots of times, right? Like the internet's crazy like that. And what happens is if you really build this thoroughly, you'll look at it and it becomes this sort of tapestry of a potential path for you in your career, right? Like these people are real people. And one thing I always try to overemphasize is unlike many, many fields and industries, the music industry truly is one built on relationships and relationships with people who are also called to the art, right? Like they're called to this work, they're passionate about music, I would say, like, we're talking about, I don't want to offend anybody, but let's say we're talking about ceiling tile manufacturing, lots of money in that, I'm sure. But I would probably argue that the ratio of people in ceiling tile industry, uh, who are really passionate about ceiling tiles as their calling in life is probably pretty small compared to the number of people who do that as a career. And in music, it's huge, right? So trying to keep in mind, whether you're working with a local venue promoter or a local musician or a local band, all the way up to, you know, the president at some label, these people, we're all called to this work because we really deeply believe in the power of music. 
and we really love music. And so they're, they're like, they're just friends you haven't met yet. And so, so looking at that and seeing these people's names and you can, you can start to draw a path for yourself. Right. And this is one thing that I, I, I do see a lot of artists, um, they get to a certain point, they feel like they have a sound and a vibe and they've maybe got a bit of a following and a fan base, but they're like, where do I go next? They kind of, you know, I'm not going to say they hit the ceiling, but it's that feeling of like, I'm a little bit stuck. And really, again, this was not my original idea. I was given to this by one of my mentors. Um, they would say like, we'll build this list of people and start reaching out to those people. And do it in a in a genuine way, not in a like, hey, I'm gonna BCC all 500 of you and be like, check out my new single. I'm I'm the shit. Can I swear? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you're okay. I'm. I, um, I don't think kids are listening to this, and if they are, they want to be musicians, and so I'm sure that they also okay, good. are fine. Yeah, the, the, yeah, we swear a lot in this industry. Um, write, take the time to actually write them a real letter. Think of it as a letter. I, I like to call it the fan letter, right? And it can be very simple and it could be your favorite artist. If you can find their email, um, it could be a producer. Producers are, are famously easy to get a hold of. Like, doesn't mean they're going to reply to you, but most producers, their business is having like their contact on the website for their studio or their you know, their, their business. And so they want people to reach out to them so they can continue to book sessions. And so send them an email and say, you know, maybe three sentences, you know, or three, three chunks, maybe one or two sentences tops. It's like, this is who I am. This is what I do. Um, this is why I'm a fan of yours. This is how the work that you are doing or have done has moved me or impacted me. And then finally, like, this is what I'm this is where I'm at. This is what I'm looking for. Right. So it could be, and I, I, I did this with some success. It's how I was connected to a label initially just said like, Hey, my name's Kyle James Hauser. I'm a performing songwriter, blah, 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 blah. Um, the records that you did with XYZ, I love, especially this song was really influential to me in, you know, in my music. And I'm looking for, uh, in that case, I was saying I'm looking for partners uh, uh, to, to bring the album to release. So you can be direct if that's where you're at. But you can also, like, it's just as good of an, an ask to say, would you be willing to give me some advice? Would you be willing to get on the phone for 20 minutes can I buy you a coffee? Can I buy you a beer? You know, um, if they're in your, your region, I would say that that's always the way to go. But I used to travel specifically to some of the different major markets to just for these conversations so that I could get some of that personal time and try to build a rapport. And, you know, you'd be shocked. Like, I've heard over the years from so many of the people who were on my list who are now some some of them are peers some of them i still think are superheroes but i've been in touch and gotten to work with many of them many of the people on my in my spreadsheet that, that i would have never dreamed to and also i couldn't name by name until i did that exercise of identifying who they are and i've had a number of them say like you know what like nobody 
nobody does this. Like nobody like tells me, like I never hear from anybody. You like, I, I, I hope people like what I do, you know, like I know we sold records or, you know, I know like we made enough money that I'm doing well or whatever, but like, it's rare, especially producers, manage people on the industry side and the people behind the scenes in the studio they'll be like you're the first person who's who's told me thanks for a thing that i did and i'm like that's crazy because <laughs> you're incredible you know and so again i mean going back to what can you do when you live in a place that's more regionally um locked than if we were living in nashville or new york or la and that's one of those things you can build this sort of potential web network. I, I don't like the word network because it sounds businessy. It, it really, these are your friends that you haven't met yet. And if you approach them like that and you don't back them into a corner with a pitch of like, I'm the shit, you got to book me or you got to sign me. Cause then they'll just be like, ah, whatever, you know, like it's going to be a yes or no. It's nowhere in between. But if you're like, Hey, I just think what you do is amazing. This is what I do. I'd love to know you. You'd be surprised at how far that can take you and the opportunities that can arise. Yeah, I, I when I was in film school, I had a similar uh, kind of example of, of advice where they were like, you know, reach out to, yeah, producers, cinematographers. I mean, everybody loves to talk about themselves and artists are, you know, we, we love to talk about the work that we do because we put so much of ourselves into it. And so... I, yeah, I think it, it's incredible the kinds of people that you'll get to meet and the it's really all about community because, yeah. you know, you can't make anything by yourself. I mean, you can, I guess, but, you know, you won't have as much fun and you might not learn as much. Yeah. Uh, well, and I remember, you know, one of my favorite classes, I went to a music school, so I, but I got to do some like non-music classes over, you know, at my time in college and one of those was an art history course with this like hilarious older man who looked like Santa Claus and wore like tweed suits and drank Jameson and, you know, was just this great, he was a curator at the, the um, MFA in Boston and he would teach his classes in the museum and he would, he would beat it into our heads pretty regularly that art, art isn't created in a vacuum, right? Now that doesn't mean that you can't be physically, isolated while you're making art but you you are influenced we are all influenced in a product of our community our culture our you know political environment our health our you know all of that so art is no matter what whether you wrote it alone on a mountain it's still been influenced by your life and the other people in it and so I think yeah like finding like-minded people again like i would encourage folks to not be shy and not be like be confident in your work you know but don't but don't be afraid to reach out to your heroes or quote in quotes or people that you really look up to just because you're not quote at their level or you're not whatever because you might find that they you you have more common ground than you think and they might become a friend or a confidant or a pen pal. That was when I went through this exercise, I ended up with, I don't know, not a ton, you know, for hundreds of emails. You know, I had maybe like a few dozen people who uh, who were willing to, to hang with me, talk, whatever. And like some of those people, we've still never worked together. 
but they're still, I still consider them friends and like, we'll exchange like pen pal, like emails or like we've hung out and just talked about life. And, you know, and I try to like keep my heart from beating. So I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you're my hero. Also, you're very influential, but you have to kind of keep that out of the equation. And some you can let them sort of help you indicate to you whether or not they're willing to to give you an opportunity professionally but that shouldn't preclude the opportunity to just befriend them and learn from them and sort of absorb through osmosis you know their life experiences and you know we're all just trying to get through this life and it's not any easier for I mean, I would say, you know, the more the more uh, physical resources you have, it certainly alleviates a lot of life's pressures. I'm not going to be more specific than that. I think you know what I mean. But aside from that, and even people with those physical resources, like we're all still, you know, struggling and suffering and trying to find our joy and create meaning in our lives. And so, um, again, back to <laughs> I know this long-winded answers to short questions, but what are the challenges and what are some of the things that musicians can do on top of what we've already said i think really trying to reach out beyond your local um community and your current sort of sometimes self-imposed boundaries and and meet other people can be hugely transformative yeah absolutely absolutely let's talk about a little bit of like a nitty-gritty what percentage of time do you think artists should be spending on activities we all have to do like creating the music versus running the band as a business marketing social media there's a lot of hats to wear in your opinion is there like a good amount of time for each thing so that you don't get bogged down okay yeah that's a very good question that's a very challenging question i'm like by nature not the most structured scheduled person and i think that has lent itself to me feeling right at home in a career where I might not know what city I'm in in a week. You know, I had a lot of gigs where I'd get a call. It's like, hey, can you fly to sometimes overseas, like in 10 days or 20 days? And I'd be like, okay, let's do it. You know, you you have to be flexible to take opportunities. One of my mentor a long time mentors a long time ago said like if somebody offers you a gig and it's a good gig just say yes like even if you don't know how to do it and then as soon as you hang up the phone go figure out like buy the books whatever call everybody you know like figure it out say yes figure it out um so that said i found when i was really hitting it trying to build my career as a professional performing recording artist um i had to build a lot of structure into the times between tours once i got on the road it's a little bit more of a kind of a flow state you know you focus more on like maintenance personal physical mental maintenance right like am i getting good food am i getting good sleep am i practicing enough to be able to to keep my chops for the gigs um and then putting on the shows and so that well, that can be challenging. That was always the easier time for me. Like once I hit the road, I love getting into, I love exploring new places. And so I, I would get into a pretty healthy natural rhythm on tour. But in between, uh, I I went through a long period of years where I built a rigorous schedule, you know, and it started at 9 a.m. And it was, you know, 9 to 9.45, first email pass of the day 
10 to two or to noon practicing um, uh, rudiments or technique. So I, I, you know, I used to practice a lot on um, like posture, tone production, sort of all the sort of physical elements of producing the sounds that you want. And that includes vo vocal practice as well. Um, and then, you know, lunch, half an hour to eat something, and then another two hours of repertoire. So either practicing existing material, I mean, always both, but it can you can sway in one direction or the other. Songs that you know you have to perform tonight or next week, and then songs that you are currently working on. That's a critical um, component to, to continuing to uh, grow as a tech, techni technician, a, tech, a craftsperson, is you need to be able to play the gig, right? And if you're a full-time working musician, you will have lots of gigs. And gigs could be, you know, sessions, they could be performances. But you have to be able to go and be the best version of yourself with everything that you currently know and own, but you cannot stop practicing new challenging material because if you do, you, you're not going to progress, right? And so you have to kind of decide every day in your practice studio, like, okay, I, if I spend, you know, four hours transcribing this, you know, Bach piece or this, you know, I don't know, flectones, you know, tune, whatever it may be, uh, I'm going to get to the gig and be like, oh, crap, like I can't, like I forgot to run over my stuff and your head's kind of in the clouds of playing new challenging material. But again, if you do, if you spend all your time playing the same stuff over and over again, eventually you stop, you stop sort of growing and developing. So yeah, it was like lunch, two more hours of repertoire, and then I would write for two hours. So just try to shift into the creative songwriting space. And I would alternate whether or not um, I was trying to be generative and come up with new material or I was editing existing material because those are two, at least in my writing process, two very different, uh, two very different things. And sometimes I'm more in the mood to edit. So I'll take a song I'm working on and I'll just, you know, get out my exacto knife and I'll start tweaking lines. I'll start resetting melodies and, and working with, you know, the rhyme or whatever, whatever. And then there are days where I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to like try to get as many new song ideas recorded as I possibly can. And that's my, that's been my method for years is I just turn on a recording tool. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter to me. And I just go and just try to dump as much. And then in my next editor phase, I will go through and kind of try to see like, okay, what was good in there? What, what can I take? And then, you know, that would usually get me to five, five, six o'clock. And then it was time to like go to the gig, you know, and I did, I played shows five or six days a week and I had sessions some days, so I couldn't keep up that schedule. But, um, and then at the gig, you know, and I did a lot of, when I wasn't on tour, you know, I like to work. I like to, 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 you know, develop my chops. So I would do a lot of gigs outside of my style, like the music that I was making for my project, like I did gigs as like a gypsy jazz rhythm guitar player. And like, I'd go play banjo for a songwriter or, you know, play electric guitar in a funk band, like whatever, like call me, I, I got it. Like you need, you know, 150 bucks, I'm yours, you know? Um, 
And that really, I mean, that kind of um, structure and um, persistence is the only reason I was able to develop enough proficiency where I could just, where I could get gigs easily, you know? And I remember talking to, I can't remember who it is, I won't name names, but it was a very, a very, very strong contemporary musician. And they were like, hey, I have to practice for four to six hours just to keep up what I can do, what I could do yesterday. Like four to six hours is maintenance, right? If I don't do that much time, and that's like, that's like intentional practice. That's not noodling. That's not, you know, seeing what'll come to you. It's not even writing. It's like, I am running repertoire. I'm I'm running scales, chords, you know, uh, finger exercises. Like if I don't do that, I can't keep up. So it's only in that last hour or two of an eight hour day that I am getting better, that I'm breaking new ground. And I never got that far, but I got to where I needed a solid two or three hours a day every day just to be able to perform at the level that I had the day before. And so when you look at it, I mean, I think this is, this again comes down to a sort of systemic issue that I believe that Sonic Guild is one of the organizations helping to address, but without the physical resourcing to be able to dedicate oneself to the career and the craft of music, it's this unbelievably unfair challenge, right? Where, because it's a job, <laughs> it's a career. And if you can't practice for eight hours a day and then play a show for four hours a day and afford that lifestyle, like you're, you will struggle. Like it will be difficult for you to feel like you're really advancing in the same ways that if you went to pre-med and then you're doing 10 hours a day or eight hours a day of studying and another six hours a day of, you know, practice at the, at the hospital or whatever. Right. It's like, it's just as difficult and but however with musicians it we don't get the same support and you know to be able to say like yeah i'm going to be a professional musician so that means that i'm going to not make any money for three years while i get really really strong at my craft and my art and i'm going to work 14 hour days just like you all but it's going to be something that i feel like our culture has sometimes written off as like oh music like that's easy, you know? <laughs> so again, I think the best thing that you can do as far as, and that, so you notice in that schedule that I didn't make any time for booking tours or emails or, you know, getting out at the bars and meeting other musicians or seeing other people play. Like it's really challenging. There's no one system or schedule that, that I think truly fits. And so you have to be, um, you have to be flexible and just ask yourself if you're really pursuing this. And I am, again, I'm talking about this as, as folks who want to have a, a full-time career in this space, like just ask yourself, am I putting in, you know, a full day of intentional, uh, of intention to my, to my craft, to my art, to my career? Because if the answer is yes, you're probably going to be okay. And if the answer is no, well, you might need to reframe, you might need to restructure. And sometimes that might be like, all you do is practice. That's all you do. You don't have any gigs. Nobody likes you. You don't have any friends. So all you do is practice or all you do is write. And that's okay, right? Because the, the fruits of that labor will be 
a key component to when you do get out and you do start playing that people say, oh, wow, this person really has something to say or, or you know, the music they make is, is really wonderful, right? And then you might have phases where that's all you do. All you do is play gigs and go out and see other people play. Or, you know, oftentimes it's the classic sort of record cycle. You you go through the writing, the iteration, the pre-production, and then you do the production, and then you're in post-production and you're mixing, and you finally start to get a hold of those mixes that are sounding really good. You start looking at mastering engineers. And at that phase, that's traditionally where you start the outreach whether you call it pitching or promotion or whatever like are you seeking label support are you looking for a manager or a, or a booking agent if you don't have those things if you do have those things and you don't have a manager well guess what you are coordinating all of the efforts of all these people and that's one of the common misnomers that i like to call out with managers i think a lot of artists think that a manager is going to manage them the musician and it's not really what they're for. They can be, and often, you know, the best ones are great thought partners and collaborators and colleagues, but a manager manages the artist's business, you know? So they work for you, right? And so there, and it is, once you build up to a certain point, it's multiple people's jobs, you know, sometimes full-time jobs to manage the the talent buyers, the booking agents, the shows, the, you know, the studio, the producers, the marketing team, the promoters, the distributors, the sync opportunities, right? Booking the travel and the, you know, the hotels and like, it's a lot, a lot of work. Um, so again, I mean, not an easy answer, not a short answer, but I think ask yourself is every, every, whether you only have 30 minutes or you are fortunate enough to have 14 hours a day, like is all the time I'm spending intentional and in service of what? And is that serving me right now? Because I will tell you from personal experience, I spun into an era where I was spending most of my intentional time in the sort of business side of my, of music, right? Trying to book shows, trying to get more opportunities and, and all of that stuff. And I could feel and slowly saw my craft and my art and my connection to it start to fade, start to dwindle, right? So you have to you have to be able to be flexible, let things go in cycles until, you know, if you are diligent enough, and I'll I'll say again, many years ago, someone in Nashville who's an incredible songwriter, she's one of my heroes. She's like, there is room for everybody in the music industry. You just got to be able to stick around and work hard, you know? And I, I found the older that I get um, that that's true. Uh, like pretty much every committed individual I've ever met has carved out a career. It might not be the career they thought they would have. Like I thought I was going to be a, you know, famous touring, you know, not crazy. I didn't want to be crazy, but I was like, I wanted to sell like 500 tickets anywhere I went in the world and tour like nine months of the year, you know, my show, my thing, you know, and that didn't happen. But now I found my way into artist development and I've had some really incredible opportunities. I've traveled the world playing music. I still get to go on tour kind of when I want to at this point. And, you know, that's not what I was planning for, but I'm very grateful for it. And I know for a fact, I wouldn't have been given the opportunities I've had if I hadn't been so, so 
dedicated and worked and practice, I feel like is one of the hardest things that a lot of artists aren't willing to take on. It's like, you, where's your metronome? You know, scales aren't fun, but you need to know how to play them. You need to understand they're the building blocks of our language. You know, it's like you can spell the alphabet. You should be able to play all the major scale modes. You know, you don't have to. It's your choice. Everybody makes their own choice. But my my whole philosophy is to have opportunity and not be prepared is a tragedy. To be prepared and not have opportunity is a bummer. Right. So unless you are already famous and have all the money you need. And so if you have that, do whatever you want, like make it your own. Right. You can do whatever. You're fine. You're set up. But for those of us who don't and those of us who want to have careers as musicians, like learn, learn the fundamentals, learn music, treat it like a craft, like you're a plumber. You have to know how all the wrenches work and the pipes and the diameters and treat it like that because it will it will give you opportunity opportunities like you will get better people will notice it will make your music stronger so you touched a little bit on sync opportunities for our listeners can you explain a little bit about what that is and how that can help an artist looking to maybe make a living outside of the tour show kind of regular traditional when they, you know, people think of like, oh, you're a musician, this is what you do sort of vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. So sync, sync, sync licensing basically just means setting music to moving images. So that could be film, television, video games, commercials, whatever, right? Um, there are a couple sort of, or there, there are two sort of like major deviations in the path for this that I think some people, um, sometimes people don't, don't necessarily understand, but there's like what we I'm messing with this term. I'm not sure it's so relevant as it used to be, but film scoring, right? Which is that typically means that you are writing to a, a to a moving picture. Like you're working on a team, the producer, the director, right? And they're giving you pictures or shots or you know, edits from these scenes. And they say, I want to evoke this emotion. And you're sitting there with your instrument, you're trying to evoke that emotion while you're seeing the thing happen. Um, that's very different from the world of sync that we um, teach, uh, mostly teach and, and the opportunities we provide at Music District, which is taking sort of pre-recorded songs and placing them is the term um, into, a, you know, film, television, advertising. Now, some people have built some great careers and we do, we, we encourage this, we talk about this a lot, where you write to what's called a brief, which is basically a client it could be a sync agency it could be a music supervisor the person working at the, the studio whatever that is or the the agency the people who are sort of the the liaisons between the studios and the artists um and the brief is basically like hey we've got a project <laughs> we've got a, a 90 second commercial it's the product is it's a toothbrush uh here are the 10 buzzwords it's like fresh and clean and fast and eco-friendly and whatever. And, you know, maybe, you know, we want to have um, a female vocalist, um, up-tempo, major key, uh, grunge rock or whatever. Like they'll give you, and this is how the industry runs. They send out these, they're called briefs again, and they'll send them out. And you could receive that as an artist. And this is one of the programs that we have here at Music District. We work with our partners in Detroit, Assemble Sound, 
they're a sync agency and an artist development shop and they're really wonderful humans and they'll bring actual briefs to a cohort of northern colorado artists and producers from their roster and they'll say okay so we have these two briefs and these are real these are actual opportunities and in two days you're going to pair up or team up go into the studios at music district and you're going to write record produce and finish a track for each of these briefs and then we're going to reconvene uh at the end of every day, listen to each other's work as a as a cohort and get feedback, not just from the, the supervisors and the sync professionals, but also your fellow artists. And those those are some of the coolest things that we do, because those were the kinds of opportunities I never had um, and would have totally killed for. Right. And so it's really exciting to see those. We actually have one open. Uh, the applications are open now for the fall. We typically do two of those a year. But there are other opportunities at Music District for musicians residing in Colorado. We have a virtual uh, sync intensive that's um, actually applications close in like 30 minutes. So maybe not. Uh, but we have an in-person one. It's a multi-week intensive that we'll be running this fall. We usually do that two or three times a year. Um, and then we're kicking off a series of workshops that are for more people just trying to get an introduction to the world. But how sync can impact your career if you're a writer and an artist um getting your songs and film and television it, it pays dividends in a couple different ways one of course the the financial component and there's usually an upfront fee that is split between your collaborators as well as the the sync agency if there is one which there almost always is um, and then two, we call the back end royalties, which are collected on the owners of the composition. So the people who wrote the song, that's the songwriting and the publishing. Um, and those, especially for uh, uh, network television, those pay out over years. Like I got songs on MTV. <laughs> I always laugh when I think about it, but I got songs in 16 and Pregnant and then the sequel Teen Mom, right? And those like... I, I don't know, you know, whatever. Like, I always laugh because I looked at my cue sheet, which is like what describes the scene. It's sort of the, the coding system they use to pay people. And it's like, okay, you know, one minute, 30 seconds of usage and whatever. And this is the scene. It's like, Tiffany is crying while riding a horse. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm glad that my music evoked the emotion for Tiffany crying and riding that horse during 16 Pregnant. Um but those things, they do pay and they pay out over time, basically, if it's still running on television, which so I'm still collecting money from shows that aired a decade ago. And so it's a numbers game, right? Because obviously it's going to be really popular at first um, and maybe fall off. But sometimes shows have a, re a comeback, you know, like and you might in 30 years, you, you don't lose that uh, opportunity to collect on that revenue. So in 30 years, if there's a 16 and pregnant reunion and it's the most popular show in the world and all of a sudden millions of people are watching the originals like i'm gonna collect that same amount of money so so that's great because you're basically building for your future in this it, and it's it's a numbers game in that the more of those that you can get it's large or small the more likely you can get to a point where you your royalty checks or we we call them mailbox money right in the in the industry it's old school term but that that can become a substantial enough amount of money where it can fund 
that time when you're not touring, when you need to just write and be creative, like the practice hours. And I was fortunate to get to that point where I, I had enough of uh, sync placements where I had to be strategic. I never made a ton of money, but I had enough where I could be like, okay, I can take like a month and just write and practice and whatever, because this money from this project that I recorded several years ago got on these TV shows and is supporting and can now support me in that way. So it can be huge from the resourcing perspective. But the other side that I think, um, you know, maybe artists don't always consider upfront, but is the, the cultural capital that you can gain from being associated with a, with a popular, successful sync, right? So if you get a song in a big Hollywood movie and that movie does really, really well. And let's say that the deal wasn't that great because maybe you're not a big enough artist, but they're like, you know what? We like your song, but we only, we're going to give you a thousand bucks and like, you know, you'll still kind of collect your royalties because that's a set rate. They can't, you know, mess with that unless, as long as you retain ownership over your songwriting and publishing. Um, but it's not like a ton of money, but now what now guess what like on your website on your wikipedia page when you're reaching out to venues and promoters and labels you're saying like yeah as seen in the you know hollywood hits or oscar nominated or summer blockbuster right and that you can use that even though the money wasn't much up front it will make you way more money if you are willing to leverage that and talk about it as a part of your story, because it really is, you know, a great um, demonstration of, of, of your professionalism or the quality of your art and craft. Like it's a little bit arbitrary, but still it works. And as humans, we, we look for ways to measure one another and say like, is that good? Do you like it? Like, and if a bunch of people like a thing that you're connected to, even if you didn't get your 50 grand that you thought you should get, you can turn that into 50 grand by saying like, yeah, no, see, I'm associated with this thing. So, you know, if you book me, you're, you're associated with that thing and you like that thing. Right. <laughs> so yeah, sync can be a really, a really amazing way to round out. And that's what I want to, that's how I want to phrase it. It's equally challenging, just like we said before, it's equally challenging to have a career as a full-time touring solo or touring recording artist. Equally difficult to have a full-time career as someone who just makes music for, for film and television and sync. What we try to teach here at Music Districts is to be omnivorous in your career as a musician or a music industry human, right? Like do, do as much of everything that you can and, you know, death by a thousand cuts, like if you do enough over time, you'll start to see these little pieces of revenue from sync are trickling in this weird band that you just took a random gig playing in the background, all of a sudden has a big European tour. And so now your summer is set and you've got enough money for the spring because you did the TV thing. And so then you're going to write your record and tour on your own through the winter or whatever, right? Like you really have to be omnivorous in the opportunities. I would include teaching. I'm a passionate believer in teaching as a as a sort of an obligation to give back to and that doesn't have to be in schools or at universities just being a mentor being being a leader being a guide for people who are on a path that they you know that there are things that you know that you can share with them to help them on their path 
And there are things that they probably know that they can help you on your path, right? It can be a reciprocal learning, but, you know, being a teaching artist can be another really valid uh, revenue stream to kind of fill in the, 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 the holes in this crazy challenging puzzle we call having a career in music. Well, we're just about out of time, unfortunately. I feel like we could do a whole part two with the wealth of information that you are so generous to share. But I'm before we, <laughs> that works for podcasts. Hey, we're all about talking. I mean, there's nothing worse than you get on a podcast and then we're just sitting here looking at each other. <laughs> um, so before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom to artists out there looking to hone their craft? Well, I mean, I would say, you know, because I know this is kind of the, the reason for the season, what, what drew me to Sonic Guild as an organization is that they provide one of the, you know, best, but really only opportunities that I have seen in my decades of experience, you know, across this country um, to provide those, those physical, the hard resources, the financial resources to artists to do what they need to do. And that we talked about challenges uh, for developing artists. That's often one of the greatest hurdles is that, you know, what they would call in, in business, like the startup money, the startup capital, right? If you can't get, and it's, yes, it's gotten cheaper because you can do more in the box, but it's not, it's also gotten more expensive because of inflation. And just because you're working with someone who can do everything out of their laptop, that doesn't mean they're necessarily less valuable because they don't own a big console that costs a hundred grand or whatever. Right. So, you know, to get that, that 10, 15, 20, 25, $30,000 that it takes to make a really high quality, meaningful recording. And that, especially the first recording, you know, that's like an essential piece of kit for any artist or band. And a lot of artists or bands can't get there. Can't, can't, can't crest that mountain or they're paying for it out of their personal finances. And they're probably don't have a savings, you know, like it's, it's, it's pretty ugly, you know? And so the lack of funding opportunities for developing artists is, uh, is a critical issue. And I think Sonic Guild, the way that they do it, you know um, it's providing some, it's providing something, you know, it's not, they're not just giving out, you know, thirty thousand dollars to a hundred thousand artists, but but every dollar that goes towards artists from Sonic Guild, especially without the restrictions, where it's will help give you guidance, but you can spend this on whatever is calling to you and whatever you need right now. I think is really remarkable, and so I would encourage artists to to dig in to Sonic Guild, and then I would also strongly encourage artists locally in Colorado, nationally, internationally, wherever anybody is to check out the music district to, to reach out to us. We do have resources and opportunities for people who aren't just located in Colorado. Most of our efforts go towards the Northern Colorado music ecosystem, but we're still, you know, we're believers in this work and we know that artists need support and there's not a lot of it out there. And as a nonprofit, we don't, you know, we don't ask for money. We don't ask for points on the records. We don't ask for compensation. Our success is the success of our community and our artists. So 
and barring that, you know, so, so reach out to me <laughs> um, if you need help, but, but barring that look, look to your community, you know, look where you are and do a hard analysis of, like we said before, creating the database of who's in your orbit, who could you reach out to and reach out to those people, you know, make friends and, and really participate in your community. And if you feel like, and this is okay, if you come to this conclusion, if you feel like the community that you're in is not aligning with the art and the craft that you make, that's okay. And it's okay to go, you know, as uh, I think it was David Lynch said, uh, you got to go away to come back. And so you can always return. And if you're saying like, you know what, I think I'm onto something. I, I believe in what I'm doing and I can't find my people they're probably somewhere else and that's okay. That's okay. And you can go and find that community and build a life there. And then you can return to where you came from and share that. And you might find that things are very different when you come back in a few years or whatever. So again, I would say, you know, be flexible, be diligent, work really hard, work harder than you think you are supposed to, but work smart and if you don't know what to practice, ask somebody who does. <laughs> and I'll tell you, you know, you could get a half an hour lesson, a virtual lesson now with your whoever your hero is on your instrument. Most of them teach now. Get a half an hour and go in with a list of questions. They will give you a year or more of things to practice in 30 minutes. And so, boom, there you go. Now you know what you need to practice, you know. So <laughs> it's a bunch of stuff, but be resourceful, be community minded. Be a good person. Um, relationships are important. And I can speak from experience. The longer you're in this industry, the smaller it gets and the more familiar faces you're going to see. So be kind. Try to do good work and, um, and come hang out in Fort Collins with us. Well, Kyle, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking to you. We will put links in our show notes to the Music District for anybody listening. And as well, I mean, go out there. If you're listening, Google is your friend. And like Kyle said, you can find a lot of really cool people to contact. Um, but the Music District is a great place to start. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Sonic Guild Colorado Podcast's collaboration with the Roots Music Project. Check out the links in our show notes to learn more about the Music District and to become a member of Sonic Guild Colorado.